Hello and welcome to Impactability, the Nonprofit Leaders Podcast. This is a show that explores the landscape of the nonprofit organization, big and small, offers some incredibly helpful information and resources, and gives nonprofits a place to share ideas and get advice. I'm your host, Josh Hirsch. Our show is sponsored by Sukup Strategic Solutions, offering a wide variety of services to help nonprofits maximize their impact. So let's get into solving the problems that might be plaguing your nonprofit. Welcome to Impactability, the Nonprofit Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Hirsch, and today we're joined by Meredith Ray Fetter. Meredith serves as the Deputy Director for the Museum of Discovery and Science. As a member of the executive team, Fetter is responsible for setting departmental goals, generating $12 million in earned revenue and philanthropic support annually. During her tenure at MODS, she's also served and overseen two capital campaigns, by connecting advancement and engagement elements to the mission of the institution, Federer and her team have been successful in enhancing the reputation, relationships, and resources of the organization by emphasizing partnerships, outcomes, and impact. Federer is a leader in nonprofit management and brings over 20 years of strategic advancement, operational marketing, and communications experience to the Museum of Discovery and Science. Prior to joining the museum, she was Senior Director of Advancement for Gulliver Schools, one of the largest private schools in South Florida. In this role, Federer oversaw development, marketing, branding, publications, web content management, public and community relations, divisional operations, government and community relations, alumni relations, social media, and strategic partnerships. How is one person supposed to do all of that? That's a lot. She's also held positions with Pensacola Museum of Art, Northwest Florida Ballet, and Starlight Children's Foundation. Federer graduated with a Bachelor of Art in Art History and Studio Arts from the University of West Florida, a Certificate in Fine and Decorative Art Appraisal from New York University, and has a Master in Arts Administration from Florida State University. She's also a Certified Fundraising Executive Professional and a graduate of the Getty Leadership Institute Program for Museum Professionals. Her industry contributions have earned the Broward Chapter of Association of Fundraising Professionals the 10-star designation for accomplishments toward the association's strategic plan and have earned institutions various Hermes Creative Awards, Muse Awards, Audiovisual Artists Awards, Communicator Awards, and National Medallion by the Institute for Museum and Library Services for excellence in the industry. In addition, Federer was recognized as the Outstanding Fundraising Professional of the Year by the Broward Chapter of AFP, as the Mother of the Year by Healthy Mothers, Healthy Babies, and a Distinguished Fellow by the Association of Fundraising Professionals Global. She's a past president of the Association of Fundraising Professionals Broward Chapter, as well as the Greater Florida Caucus, a professional mentor in the Mentorship Program, and an instructor of Fundamentals of Fundraising for the Broward Chapter of AFP. Do I need to like bow down to you with all of that? It's a serious bio there, Meredith. I mean, it's always hard to like, you know, hear someone read off your accomplishments in your bio, but like you're kind of a big deal. Oh, that is very kind of you to say. I will call you when I need a self-esteem boost, Josh. Listen, we, you know, it's <laughs> it's it's all hard not to be humbling, but when you look back on our careers and, and whether, you know, you've been in the field for five minutes, five years or, or five decades, it feels good to know that we've left, left a lasting impact. You know, like we all have some sort of ego to ourselves, whether we want to admit it or not. 
and you should feel really proud of what you accomplished. And and if you ever need that that ego stroke or like you're feeling down, <laughs> just hit that just hit that Josh easy button, and he'll jump on and say you're amazing. Absolutely, everybody needs a Josh easy button. I, you know that that's true. We we all should should have a Josh easy button in our lives. But but we're we're talking about today the topic of of our our episode here is vision and action, striking a balance in nonprofit leadership. And and before we got on and and started uh, recording, you and I had a few minutes to to sort of like glaze over this topic because you know I've I've known your work with with mods for you know almost a decade now that uh that we've been connected and and have been colleagues and. It's amazing to see the way that organization has grown and you've overseen two capital campaigns. So let, let's start right there. You know, it's a big task to identify first the needs and then the funding potential and then actually close those campaigns. So where did you start from and like, how did you get to you know complete two campaigns like at that level? You know, I really, I think, you, first of all, you have to be able to fully drink the Kool-Aid of anything that you're kind of uh, representing, right? So if uh, you're selling it for me, like believing in the product is the most important thing. Uh, and I think a lot of the rest follows. So having a passion for, for the mission, having a passion for the work is really critical for me. And I've been fortunate to be able to be pretty selective about, you know, the organizations I choose to align myself with. And for mods, it was a marriage of two things. I you know, have a great interest and passion for museums. And it's where I actually got my career started early on. And then, you know, also now being a parent, I have a great appreciation for what this institution does in terms of creating that spark of interest for STEM learning for, for the youngest of children in the community. And so it was a chance to kind of marry those two things together. And and when I was recruited to this position, uh, they were really kicking off phase two of uh, a, a capital campaign. And so for me, I, I think to answer that question, it was really different from campaign one to campaign two. Campaign two, one, I was really kind of thrown into. It was one of the first jobs that I tackled. And so for me, it was kind of trusting tried and true processes, right? You open up your donor database and you see who hasn't been talked to in a long time. You use being new as an excuse to connect and introduce yourself to people and really kind of share that passion and excitement you have with them and get them really connected to the organization or reconnected to the organization and on board with a new initiative that will benefit the community. So, you know, that was really capital campaign one. I would say, you know, more of a pants on fire approach to that because it was a critical need when I joined the museum. And I think the difference between one and two and kind of being, you know, on the tail end of, of the second campaign now is having the time and devoting the energy to kind of building a high performing team. So that team makes everything easier. And I know you know this too, Josh, like preaching to the choir. I will say that now having been 20 years into this field is where I will devote a bulk of my time is just investing in the people, right? Investing in recruiting the right people, making sure that you're really controlling, controlling their burn rate so you don't have this 18-month turnover and that you have people with you that will truly walk through fire with you to accomplish a common goal. 
And I think because of that, our second campaign, we completed in 18 months. And that's not because that's not because of anything that that I did significantly differently, but it's because you have the power of team behind you. So there was a strong grants team writing grants for the campaign. We had a strong events team doing fundraising events for the campaign. And because everybody is is working 150% toward that common goal, then my focus and lift was a lot more strategic and easier, I'll say, because it was a collective effort. So, I mean, I think that's that's a huge difference between experience A and experience B for me. For, for the second campaign, you know, you, you said having the right people in place was key. And as a leader, we need to be able to identify who's going to excel. Are there some key characteristics that you saw within your staff that was missing or that you, you know, that you had the right in place? You know, what what did it take for you to make sure that these, as you said, will walk through fire along with you? Well, yeah, a few things. I think in this world, we are always working kind of behind the eight ball. We need resources before we have them. So when there's that go time where you actually get the green light to hire for a new position or create a new position, I feel like we as nonprofit uh, managers tend to really look at the time to fill that position. Like, let's get somebody in that position as opposed to really being strategic about who you were getting for that position. And, and I think, you know, now 20 plus years in, my mantra is much different than it used to be. Um, I will choose to work without a person than work with perhaps the wrong person. So I'm very careful in taking my time to hire and it being a really great match. I think my priorities have shifted a little bit in terms of understanding like where I want to invest in people and what things that I've also had to kind of come to grips with. You cannot train into people. And so for that reason, I will tend to hire based on loyalty to an organization, passion for the work, a track record of, of really committing to something or an interest in a particular field of work, then it's about your served. You know, we have all hired somebody that's really seasoned on paper, but, you know, they've maybe lost their spark or they're just doing time. And it's also about right personality fit. Here at the museum, there is no slow paced. We are fast paced. And, you know, the team that we have put in place kind of keeps toe with that. So I think it's, for me now, much more critical to hire based on personality and disposition, because I cannot train those traits into somebody. I can teach somebody how to write a solicitation letter. I can teach somebody how to put a pitch book together. I can talk about cultivation tactics, but I cannot teach you to care about your work. I cannot teach you to be thoughtful. I cannot, you know, be the sole thing that motivates you every day to want to do this work. And so that has really become what I will tend to hire on above all other things, which sometimes leaves experience out the window. But I find that that more often than not, that has proven really beneficial to me because then you can work and craft and train somebody into 
what they need to be for the role or what they can be next for the organization. So it's definitely a direction that I've completely invested in and has has really changed the way that I think the Meredith of 15 years ago hired compared to the, the Meredith of today. Well, you made a really good point that teaching culture is is difficult, almost impossible. You know, we can, te- as you said, teach someone how to write a letter of appeal, teach someone how to have a donor visit, but to teach someone that passion for the arts or for science or for education, that's not as easy to instill in someone that doesn't have that passion. And and at times, you know, you, you made that point that you'd rather work alone than bringing in the wrong people. And it's, as a leader, sometimes we need to uh, acknowledge and identify that, yes, you might be good on paper and have the right skills, but if you don't have that passion for, you know, science education, that's very difficult to teach into someone. And, and at that point, making those difficult decisions that we have as the leader, sometimes we have to realize that, you know, the, the right decision is not always the easy decision. But clearly, you, you've been able to hone your skills over time as a leader, identify what you need to be part of the team to take you to where you where you really want to go. So, you know, we've completed these two campaigns. Things are going really well at the museum. But there's that balance, that balance of long-term goals versus, like, what do I need in the immediate short term? So how do you as a leader, as, as a fundraiser and someone who's, you know, an, an educational leader too, like, just because you're, you're – description in your job is, you know, director of raising the big bucks. It's not necessarily, you know, science educator, but you have that passion and being able to identify within your donors, those passions as well. You know, they probably too have a passion for education, community development, these sort of things that mods brings to to the greater Fort Lauderdale area. So how do you strike that balance of saying, okay, we want to find the right mix of what do we need for the immediate now versus what do we need three to five years from now? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough, it's, it's a tough thing to kind of work through. I, I know we've spoken a little bit before today and it's, it's something that I find myself constantly pressing pause to evaluate. I think, you know, being in this position as deputy director, there's a hat um, of responsibility you put on to, be a strategic leader and be a thoughtful leader and help navigate where the organization is going and uh, create that um, kind of mark from A to B. Everybody gets there a little bit differently, but just being able to define that and, you know, being able to do that in a thoughtful manner, uh, balanced against your need to kind of be in the weeds and do some of the day-to-day work. And, and how do you do both of these things well? Because they're, they're both required. You know, a few things that I have found effective in the, the short term for me, I have gotten to where people might think by, by looking at my availability that I'm never available if they're trying to schedule an appointment with me. But I have had to, to really start setting aside blocks of time to be thoughtful, to be thoughtful about a particular topic or about a strategy so that it becomes my best work product, as opposed to that thing that just gets pushed to the back burner and doesn't get thought about until the meeting convenes or until the board asks for it, which is not 
the time to, to really think about it. It should be a work in progress. And so for me early on, and I, I thir- certainly think that there's far more strategies that I can employ, uh, but in the short term, really just trying to set aside time in my my day-to-day to have a deep thought about XYZ, whether that's with other directors here, whether it's just time for me where I need to put forward a plan, but doing that far before it's expected from anyone to be able to see it on paper or be part of it or hear it articulated by me or by our CEO, Joe. So that's been super helpful. And I think the other thing that is a critical piece of this formula you know, it's, it's, it's somewhat lonely at the top, right? And when you're, you're, you know, having these deep thoughts, or you're perhaps, you know, questioning, you know, shortfalls or obstacles that you may have, you really want to be strength for your team, right? That's, that's, you are their foundation. And so they are not always the people that, that you can have those discussions with. So having a network of colleagues in the field that, might have similar positions to yours, whether they're they're local or abroad, I think is is really important. You know, I was fortunate to go through the Getty Leadership Institute, which for me is is a really important resource group to pull from even five years later, because they're all museum professionals. They're all, all working at somewhat the same level. And we now know each other well enough to know who has, you know, similar programs or similar facilities. And we can kind of do this cone of silence, brain dumping and picking and, and, and asking questions about our own style or their take on something that we're doing really candidly, which is not necessarily the answers that you would be given from your team who report to you. So I think having kind of that trusted group of colleagues is also a really important part of that. And then setting aside time for that. So through the Getty program, part of the requirements was that we had a peer-to-peer mentor and there is a monthly requirement to meet. And so, you know, I tap into that more than monthly, but just having those kind of requirements, whether they're self-imposed or part of a program where you have to just do this pulse check, I think with somebody outside your organization and get that fair, unfiltered feedback is is really important. You're so on point as far as building that professional network and, and what it means to have that raw, unfiltered uh, viewpoint that someone outside of our organization can give you. And this is what we're going to talk about when we come back from break. So stay tuned and we'll see you in a few minutes. Major gifts are the ultimate source of funding for nonprofits. They can help fulfill your mission and achieve your vision. Having a strong major gifts program should be a priority. But where do you begin? The best place to start is with Sukup Strategic Solutions. We create transformational change by working collaboratively with you to raise funds. Our fundraising consultants will assess your organization's fundraising capacity and develop a plan that serves as a blueprint for your fundraising success. Visit our website today at SukupStrategicSolutions.com and schedule a free consultation. That's S-O-U-K-U-P StrategicSolutions.com. When it comes to major gifts, the effort you put in can make all the difference, and Sukup Strategic Solutions can show you how. Welcome back to Impactability, the Nonprofit Leaders Podcast. 
I'm your host, Josh Hirsch, and today we're speaking with Meredith Ray Fetter about how you can balance your world as a nonprofit leader. In a few minutes, we're going to be having our Coach's Corner segment, and today we've got a great one for you. We're going to be talking about how can we engage corporate partners in a mutually beneficial way. Before we get to that, I wanted to jump back into what we were talking about before break, Meredith, as far as forming our network. Now, we met through the Association of Fundraising Professionals, which I think is one of the best networking opportunities and and career growth opportunities I know that I've had for myself because it's allowed me to build others who are like-minded and think and act and and work like me that I can bounce all ideas off of. But what if you don't have that AFP available to you? How how do we find our network? What, What are some recommendations that you have to build and find those leaders that are going to be part of our, our growing leadership network? Sure. So once upon a time, I didn't know about AFP. You know, I kind of stumbled into the world of AFP and it was, you know, pre, gosh, I'm really dating myself, but really pre-internet. And so AFP, when, when I stumbled upon it, was literally a hard copy book that was circulated annually. So, you know, I think going even back to as early as your time in, in college, you know, one of my first peer groups where we were all graduating with an arts administration degree, all kind of going to work in, in cultural institutions. And so early on, it was that cohort of eight of us that would talk regularly, kind of all being in the same place in our career, being at very different places in the country, very different organizations. But I think, Anywhere that you can kind of find space for that, it can be in really unconventional ways. But certainly, you know, looking at where you already have peer groups and can you use those peer groups in different ways. So certainly those were my college friends early on, and then they became really important colleagues uh, in the field for me before I was connected to the associations that, that I am now. So I think that that's a great first step. And then I think if there there isn't a strong AFP chapter in a community as a fundraiser, if there are specific certifications or perhaps local colleges have special certificate programs or degree programs, they are professors that are teaching these programs. And I have never, ever found a professor that I had as as one of my own teachers or otherwise that was not willing to kind of give of their time if they had expertise in a particular subject. So pre-AFP, I know I was at an organization and I had to draft my first grant and I knew nothing about writing a grant because you go to school for you know leading an institution and working in an organization and not necessarily the technical skill of writing a grant. So One of the first things I did was I connected with my local arts council that was a funding agency in the community, and I made an appointment with their CEO, and I asked him to share great examples and horrible examples of things that they had funded as grants, and asked him if he would give a review of mine before it was required to be submitted to another agency. So sometimes you have to do a little bit of legwork, but I can honestly say in my my 25 years of doing this, I have never, ever had anyone in this field tell me, no, they would not make the time for me. And and you, you were smart because you took that initiative and sought out those resources that you needed. And I think that's really important that no matter how long we've been in this field, how, you know, what our role is, 
we can never be complacent. We always need to be learning. We need to always be seeking out those professional development opportunities and and finding new ways to build those networks and to learn from weather because we're going to know that there's times where we have these long-term vision goals that we're going to have to sacrifice sometimes for the the immediate short term. This has been fabulous, Meredith, and and, and I really appreciate you taking the time uh, to join us today. Is, is there anything else that you'd like to leave uh, our guests with? So I am on LinkedIn and my uh, email is linked there as well. So Meredith Fetter and then Meredith Fetter at Meredith.Fetter at mods.org anytime. Wonderful. Thanks again, Meredith. And for those listening at home, we really appreciate you joining us here again on Impactability and Nonprofit Leaders Podcast. See you next time. Have a great one. It's time for another edition of Coaches Square. This is where we put our impact coaches to the test. We ask the questions that you sent us to give them. They've got five minutes to answer it. These questions are great, so thank you for sending them in. If you haven't sent us one already, please by all means send us one. Doesn't matter what it is. Our address is impactcoaches at impactability.net. Today's question is, how can we engage corporate partners in a mutually beneficial way? Kim, you have five minutes to answer the question and your five minutes begins now. Hi, I'm Kim Hales, the Director of Client Services at Sync Up Strategic Solutions. And in today's Coach's Corner, we are going to talk about building and creating meaningful relationships with corporate partners. You know, while nonprofits bring incredible purpose to the areas that they're serving, corporations and those corporate partnerships are really critical in broadening some of that work that you're doing and being able to effectively engage with them is going to open up hopefully more doors for you. But there are some challenges, of course, when we talk about creating those relationships. And one is really making sure that those partnerships that you are embarking in are really mutually beneficial and that your missions are aligned. So when you look at what kind of corporations and partners that you want to engage with, making sure that their areas of interests align with yours, but also that their philosophies on the things that they're trying to do with their corporate dollars really align with you as well. And then digging in a little bit deeper about what they're trying to get out of that relationship. You know, for some companies, they want huge employee engagement opportunities. And if you're a small nonprofit that doesn't have volunteer opportunities or can't take in 200 volunteers on a single day to do some kind of work project, then that that partnership isn't going to be as beneficial for you. And it might even create more work than you are able to manage in order to receive those funds. So I know as we raise money and, and have really high ambitious goals for our organizations, we want to take advantage of every opportunity offered to us. But sometimes we have to really think through what that's going to look like. And if we're engaging in things that are going to be not only beneficial for us financially, but also beneficial for us as we try to engage with them, with those partners and give them what they're looking for in return. So if you can understand the motivations behind their giving, that's going to give you a little bit more insight into what's going to be beneficial for you. In the last you know, five to 10 years, we've seen a big trend in corporations narrowing their focus to certain areas, but broadening the amounts that they're giving in those and creating even larger partnerships with with fewer organizations. So really searching out who's invested in the area that you serve and trying to build those those partnerships. But with that comes their need to really want to understand the metrics and the outcomes that your organization is providing 
with their funds. So being incredibly transparent about what that looks like and really about what that gift is going to do for your organization is going to be really important. Like any other donor, that honesty and transparency is what's going to be able to build a long-term relationship. And for a lot of the corporations, that's really what they're looking for today. They want to start with an organization that fits within their areas of interest and really grow with that and show that they're making a, a difference in the communities that they work in, that they have clients in, and to be able to really leverage the work that they're doing with your organization to enhance their brand. I mean, let's be real, a lot of them really want to focus on social impact, but they also have to worry about their bottom line and their brand and are looking at ways that they can show their shareholders and their customers that they're doing good work in the community. So really being able to share that transparent information about the impact that your organization has, where their dollars are going and those outcomes is going to be really important. Again, to build those long-term, sustainable, ongoing gifts that organizations and corporations can have that can grow over time. A lot of organizations, again, are giving more and more money to fewer organizations. So if you can start that relationship, it can build over time. And then really, again, understanding and customizing those partnerships for what they're looking for, whether it's employee engagement opportunities, whether it's co-branding on something, if that's within your organization's guidelines, or whether it's demonstrating the economic impact that your organization is having in the community. So being thoughtful about all of those things when you go in and engage with a corporate partner is going to be really important for you to maintain that relationship and to make sure that it's working for both you and in the company. So I hope that this information helps you as you move into more lucrative corporate partnerships. And I wish you all the luck. Kim, we really appreciate you joining us today on Coach's Corner and sharing your knowledge and expertise on building and creating meaningful relationships with partners. Thanks again. Thanks for joining us today. Be sure to sign up for our newsletter at impactability.live. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app. That way you'll get new episodes downloaded as soon as they come out. Also, please give us a review or a rating so that your peers in the nonprofit industry can find us as well. I'm Josh Hirsch. Thanks for listening and thank you for all you do to make the world a better place through your nonprofit.